God, Dougal, you should have seen him. He's just a shadow of a sheep. <laughs> You're not surprised, Ted. If I was a sheep, I'd be watching my back right now. <laughs> Why? Because of the beast. They say it's as big as four cats, and it's got a retractable leg so as it can leap up at you better. <laughs> but you know what, Ted? It lights up at night, and uh, it's got four ears. Two of them are for listening, and the other two are kind of backup ears. And its claws are as big as cups, and for some reason it's got a tremendous fear of stamps. <laughs> Mrs. Doyle was telling me that it's got magnets on its tail. So as if you're made out of metal, it can attach itself to you. And instead of a mouth, it's got four arses. Dougal! It's a legend. It doesn't exist. Right, Ted. The way the Phantom of the Opera doesn't exist. The Phantom of the Opera doesn't exist! Look, I'm not going to get into this what does exist and what doesn't exist debate again, OK? But I'm going to have to insist you add those last two examples to the chart. But, Ted, Dougal... wrestling fans of different ages, different outlooks, obviously the same ethnicity. This is a podcast for fuck's sake. We're two white guys. (laughs) But hopefully their combined agreements and disagreements will make for a compelling and interesting debate slash discussion. Yes, it's the pro wrestling podcast called Let Me Tell You Something. I'm your co-host Lorcan Mullen and with me as always is the Farouk to my Bradshaw contrary to what I just said, the Rodney to my Pete Gass, the Magnum Scott Hall to my Punisher Dice Morgan, Mr. Simon Cross. Simon, how you doing, mate? I'm doing good. I wasn't quite prepared for the um, the, the uh, ethnic-based like onslaught that you were throwing out there, Lorcan. Um, you've caught me quite on the back foot here. Um no, 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 I'm doing quite good. I mean, I don't, we don't like to um, date our podcasts, oh, but we have... to mention that we don't like to date our podcast podcasts. every episode. But we are at that um, time of the year where WrestleMania has just been and gone, and for me, it just seems to have sparked a whole new level of uh, like interest in like, the product, what's going on. There's loads of different intriguing little directions going on. One of which is what's going to happen with the subject of our second part of our three-part series, The Undertaker. Well, I mean, um, part of the first part series as well, but well, it... <laughs> all right, semantics. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to focus on not the man this time, but rather the myth. Yeah. Now, you and I have had a bit of. Um, back and forth about what exactly this construes so i'd like you to take the lead here and what exactly do we mean by the myth i basically mean everything outside of the wrestling match the presentation the costume the bells and whistles as it were the entrances the special effects the angles the different uh, ways that the undertaker has been presented throughout the years as a because that's the thing about the WWE that they always say. Like, I get why they brand them as superstars. And I get that that is Vince McMahon's great strength. He takes wrestlers and he turns them into superstars. In that he takes someone and through their presentation, through the way that they present them on TV and present them in magazines and, and photo shoots and all those sort of things. They tried to turn them into larger-than-life characters that you want to watch on TV or at a live show or on pay-per-view or, or whatever it is that they're doing with them. 
Obviously, it gets annoying when they get into the sports entertainment. We can't call them wrestlers. They're competitors in ring, you know, and all that kind of nonsense. But when it comes to something like The Undertaker, he took a good, big, surprisingly graceful young man with very red ginger hair and not necessarily that much in the way of uh, microphone skills. And he turned him into this gimmick or this character that really caught people's imaginations and is about to come up on is is a you know a year and a half away or no two and a half years away if he's able to somehow keep going of (laughs) 30 years in that character as an on-screen wrestling persona and i sorry go on and i do think um you're quite right i mean it's it's not it's not anything that could be done in any like combat other combat sport. Um, to imagine a UFC tail of the tape for the undertaker would be truly a sight to behold. Um, and even within the world of wrestling, cause obviously the big rival when the undertaker first started out was WCW and they had their, um, supernatural characters, but they sort of never really presented them in the way that they're like a serious supernatural character. Do you get what I mean in terms yeah, of like... Yeah, yeah. And It's a bit fair, more Vince, Panto-esque over Yeah, there. Vincent Mann has always embraced the camp and The Undertaker could have very quickly and very easily descended into campiness. Mm. You know, the same the same show that The Undertaker debuted was also the debut of the gobbledygooker. Okay. <laughs> and those parallel lines verged off massively from yeah, that. Yeah, maybe Vince's greatest idea coupled with Vince's one of Vince's worst ideas ever as a character and yeah well you can't really compare it to sports stars really because i don't know outside of golfers and you know other snooker with jimmy white or something like that you can't really go that long so then you've got to look towards the entertainment aspect of it and it's like the undertaker is like wrestling's ken barlow <laughs> like that you know a character that's been there I was going to go for Elton John or, like, yeah. you know, someone like that. Someone who's stood the test of time. Yeah. yeah. Except there's no one to take a residency in Vegas, to <laughs> my knowledge. Not yet, there isn't. Oh, my God. Can you imagine if Cirque du Soleil did a, a wrestling-inspired, a WWE-inspired show? Yeah, I mean... Yeah. It, well, it I've is... always... Like, I'm really enjoying... Don't get me wrong, I'm not buying the things. I'm just flipping through them in the local comic book shop. But the uh, WWE comics right now that are telling the wrestling storylines from an altering perspective have been very interesting to read. They give you sort of back... The way that they present it is very fascinating. They take these characters and they put them in in a different environment where it's not them wrestling and it's not them giving an interview. It's what they're doing in between. It Like there's one... In a more recent one, which is about Bailey having her first tryout in oh, okay. WWE and bumping into Sasha Banks and bumping into these other people and sort of lacking in confidence, but then gradually building it up in herself and that and how that pays off later on down the road. And you know, like that, that, that's an interesting way that you could present a story because, like, the Undertaker's mythos is that he can't really be presented in that kind of way. That the Undertaker except for the biker years, was very protected by Vince. You didn't really see him do many promotional things. I never saw The Undertaker on Going Live or Live and Kicking or SMTV or anything like that. Except in his biker years, because I do remember he was on Live and Kicking in his biker years. Was he on Live and Kicking? Yeah, I think he was. The only reason I remember it is because they were asking him, like, um, what's one of the coolest things about being a wrestler? And obviously he's got to give a very PG answer, which is a bit jarring. with (laughs) Yeah, you can't go, like, the the bottles of Jack Daniels that the boys buy me every couple of weeks. Or running wrestler's court or something like that. I think he went for how it was really cool, like, uh, when he... Because he wanted to be a wrestler when he was younger because he thought it would be really cool to stay up late and things like that. (laughs) And it's just like... Oh, this 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 doesn't quite sit. <laughs> yeah. It is. It was always fun when you saw the wrestlers go on those shows, like uh, Kurt Angle in an episode of Chums on uh, SMTV. I think William Regal was in one as well. Yeah, yeah. It was him and Jerry Springer. It was a very odd combination. Right. <laughs> Kurt Angle played Cause... like the security guard. The only other like I mean we are going a little bit off track here, but the only other time I've seen wrestlers on like non wrestling related shows was The Weakest Link, and that was a sight like. 
Uh, that Kane was med- won the second one of those because Kane's Ma- a Kane's a brainy guy. I think yeah, he won it in in his mask as well. This yes. was like the masked Kane. <laughs> you can imagine Anne Robinson not understanding what he's saying and just having to go. Yeah. Bronk. What? <laughs> Bronk. <laughs> Just, just him and like just Jerry Lawler hitting on Anne Robinson. It's just like again. Uh, no way. Anne Robinson's way too old for Jerry Lawler. Yeah, I, I could be. Um, she asks at one point, uh, "So why do they call you the King?" And he goes, "Well, come to bed with me, and you'll see why." And that is a direct quote. I promise you. Oh, Jerry, <laughs> you disgusting man. <laughs> But we are speaking about some something quite scary. I mean, we've put, we've put a yes, talking about the, scary things. Getting us back on track. Uh, <clears throat> so because Und- yeah, sorry, the Undertaker's. What was interesting is that as they as they said as time went on, they'd start to say the Undertaker's in, uh, using mind games on his opponents. That that was that was almost like a, a get out of saying like this guy isn't really supernatural or anything like that. He's just. Like he slipped a few bob to the production guys so that they can give him, you know, some sweet. <laughs> you know. Yeah, they've sort of because obviously they they have on occasion done the fully oh supernatural lightning's coming kind of thing, mm. but no, sometimes I think I think what they want to do is when they want to underplay it to make him seem just human enough, like say if they don't want him to like dominate the feud or something like that. They do send, tend to like sometimes downgrade things like that to mind games as well. Mm. But let's, uh, let's also talk about just the presentation as far as the, um, the, the, the production values as his character went on. Because there was like... Um, because when you first see him at Survivor Series, he's not given any special lighting because no one was really given any special lighting back in those days. Not even really Hulk Hogan. They might get a spotlight if it's a particularly dark venue, but otherwise he's just... He got really... the um, shot from underneath camera angle, but yeah. I think a lot yeah. of big people got that anyway. They like to do that with a lot of wrestlers anyway. Um, and he's uh, accompanied by Brother Love, which yeah. is... Odd. So it was always a work in progress, as it was at that point. I mean, you look at his tombstone. I mean, that's going back to the wrestler stuff. But his tombstone wasn't. Well, the one he gives to Coco Beware is ugly as fuck. He like doesn't hold him like with his arms around the waist. He's and he like lands in the ropes, and yeah, and all those sort of things don't really work. So then, so the next step was to give him Paul Bearer, and then it was what really helped was the babyface turn. And that was when the hair started to be slicked forward, so you couldn't even see his face for a large portion of the match, or maybe not at all if he, you know, unless he whips it back or anything. And then the lights going out, he was really the only one that got that at that point. The lights going out and the spotlight whilst he came out. And I think the most one of the most important parts of the of the character was that the significance fairly early on that was given to the gong sound effect. Mm-hmm. It was Stone. It was the precursor to Stone Cold's glass smash. John Cena's trumpets. The Rocks. If you if you smell. CM Punk's. It was really. Or uh, Triple H's. um, Damn. I can't. Like that. That was a terrible way of describing it. But you get what I mean. And again, for everything except for the biker taking years, that melody of his entrance has always stayed there. And I guess maybe it's also a sign of what they're doing with the character, with the extra uh, instrumentation or whatever they might give to the um, the song. Like when he made his first comeback in '94, they started adding, I think, like wind sound effects and things like that. I think it was something like that. Very um, mid nineties. Yeah, 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 and. Yeah, and then, like, orchestral accompaniment. And then when they went Attitude Era, I always was a bit... I was a bit of a fanboy for this, but I don't know if anyone did. Uh, anyone else liked it. But um, around the time of the R.U. Uh, and Kane in Gahoot storyline, um, they they remixed his entrance theme with an electric guitar riff going on. It was going... So, yeah, it was a bit more epic... But um, also maybe a sign of... Because uh, the, the Undertaker character himself was turning more and more gothic, I suppose. He was more of a goth. The, um, I was about to jump onto this. I yeah. mean, I know I've jumped a little ahead a little bit, but mm. that's one thing that I 
struck me, like going through the years of the Undertaker Batch presentation, you've got early nineties purple gloves taker, long scraggly hair, and well, he then didn't get the purple gloves until ninety four. That was actually done so that there was a distinguishing point between him and the Undertaker. Oh, the evil the Undertaker, grey gloves. Yeah, but continue. But um, nevertheless, that's like the um, purple glove image is like sort of like the one you have like early Undertaker. That's the one that carries with me anyway. But then you snap forward to the Attitude Era, and especially as uh, around the time he was kidnapping Stephanie, he's got like the eye shadow. He's got like the sort of slicked back hair. He's got the underbeard, the, the little like, goatee, goatee beard of evil. And obviously, <laughs> I think what part of that is obviously um that's quite what quite a lot of gothic people look like throughout all mediums of film but i think part of that does boil down to vince thinking if i wanted someone to look like a creepy cult leader what would i think they'd look like well they also dressed him in heavy robes for the whole ministry of darkness that sort of swamped his frame really Mm. which is a little bit peculiar considering that's one of his assets for the most part that look was gone by the time he went back in as an in-ring wrestler but for that two-month period between him losing the buried alive match to austin to coming back into the ring around wrestlemania 15 against the big boss man they they experimented with it, and also they suggested that the that this was when Vince Russo was all into his work shoots, and they were saying that Mark Calloway has started to convince himself he truly is the Undertaker and all that. Oh God, I hate work shoots nonsense. <laughs> I hate it so much as we speak at the moment where Roman Reigns is moaning that he lost a that some of that he was booked to win or oh such bullshit. <laughs> And the Rusev stuff as well. That that's well, that's a bit weird. Yeah, we don't. We'll, we'll cross that bridge if we have to come to it. Uh, we could do a Rusev episode actually, maybe if he does get released, as, as the rumors are. Yeah. To be believed at the moment. Um, or maybe he'll ask for his release. I don't know. Um, but speaking of, so- let's go back to someone who never asked for a release. To the best of my knowledge, outside of a few WWE endorsed shows in Japan and stuff, has never really wrestled outside of the WWE since late 1990. The Undertaker, yeah, like that gothic look, I guess it it, it, it very often would reflect the times because obviously in the in the mid-90s, that was when all the um, alternative rock stuff was happening and you did see gothy kids dressed, around, dressed up yeah. in black and so they gave him those... Um, were things like Buffy big the then uh, as not, well? Not, well, I think she debuted around Attitude Era time. But I'm yeah. thinking like Creatures of the Night, and uh, the, which would be like fans sitting in the front row dressed up all gothy and they'd have a wreath with them. It's funny actually that it's such a bleak subject matter, death. It's the kind of thing you expect from like Ingmar Bergman films, not from WWE yeah. live shows. <laughs> but that's what The Undertaker as a character represented, and that's where it'd be interesting. I, I've, I've had this idea recently that like, when, if a. When The Undertaker does retire from in-ring, I would like the character to remain and be... I remember JR used to say he was like the moral conscience of the WWE. And yes, he so, does bust out that line a fair few which times. Which is obviously he? a reflection, I think, of his backstage role, really, yeah. that he is the, the judge in the wrestler's court and everything. So he is the one that says what's an appropriate or inappropriate way of behaving to the other wrestlers. And so... I was thinking this, like, when The Undertaker retires, what I would like him to be is almost a Grim Reaper character slash almost godlike moral figure in that he will emerge from time to time, a couple of times a year, from nowhere. You'll hear the gong, lights go out, come back on. He emerges and he, like, punishes someone that's done something terrible. Like, say, at the end of the Johnny Gargano Tommaso Ciampa match... Johnny Gargano wins the match and he goes off and then Chumper's left in the ring and he just goes like um, you just hear gong it comes on and then the Undertaker just gives him a choke slam and then lights go out and then he's gone again it's just a silly little idea I had but like yeah. or like when well, don't need to I, I get to say it's silly you don't get to say it's silly <laughs> I can do that but like um like I have this idea that like every person that retires from now on, like they do the, the career long retirement, you can have the Undertaker emerge after they've done their speech, 
as like I say, like a Grim Reaper character and, and either lead them away, literally lead them away, or he just sort of tips his cap to them. Uh, like he did to Shawn Michaels at the end of his retirement. And like when Ric yeah. Flair retired, I know I think they saved it for after the show was live. He did the sort of kneel in, in as a sign of respect to Ric Flair. But I like that idea of him remaining a part of the fabric of the WWE, just not as a wrestler. Yeah. But you can't you can't make him a commentator. And you can't really no. have him come out with all the other WWE legends. It just doesn't... <laughs> work like that it's like how well, they he's all never come out to like hulk the... hogan's theme or something like yeah, that i know what you mean yeah it's like how he's never there for the whole Ho- for the um hall of fame he's never in the audience for that yeah. really i think he made an appearance he made an appearance Shawn for Michaels. paul sorry he made an appearance for paul bearer he came out oh, on yes, stage that's right that's right yeah i mean when he gets inducted into the hall of fame i think he should get because uh, partly because the hall of fame is just getting overcrowded with like there's not really six or seven people that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame every year if you're not going to use like the legacy ones of like you know uh, you know all those ones that are like El Santo I think they put in recent I think they put in most recently mm. and he's like El Santo is one of like maybe ten most important figures in all of wrestling in the world so he deserves a Hall of Fame induction properly but obviously they're doing that because they don't think the crowd cares enough so that yeah. means they've all got to basically be modern day wrestlers now going into the Hall of Fame. So that means like anyone after like 1980 maybe. And so, and now they've got, they, they always have to have at least one person of an ethnic minority, which I'm absolutely in favour of. They've, you know, they've always got to have a woman, which is fine, but yeah, going to be struggling after a while because women weren't treated very well as they keep pointing out until recent <laughs> years. Um, but, uh, I think for the year The Undertaker goes into the Hall of Fame, he should be the yep. only one to go into the Hall of Fame. Like how Andre was the only one to go in in the first oh. Dedicate a whole show to him. Yeah. He'd also I, make a Hall of Fame that wouldn't run for three and a half, four and a half hours. Four, and, four and a half hours. It's, it is ridiculous. Goldberg's giving a speech Each to like to no one. <laughs> Which is harsh. It I was mean, horrid to see Goldberg it. has his... Uh, uh, detractors, but you know, even he didn't deserve that. Well, you know, they've all got work in the morning, so <laughs> yeah, it's not the guy's fault who left. They had reasons, yeah. but you know, they've just got a. I, I don't need a half-hour speech from Hillbilly Jim. I'm sorry, I don't. I've um, I've not watched this year's Hall of Fame. But I don't I like... watch them really. I really, yeah, don't. I would never like if I got the WrestleMania thing. I wouldn't go to that as a live event. Uh, I enjoyed it when I went, but. It, it wasn't something I was expecting to enjoy going into it. I do I think the Undertaker that... should get... I think you're right. I mean, at the bare minimum, everyone knows he's going to be the head of whatever year he goes into. Like, no one's going to go above the Undertaker <laughs> in that one. Um, standing on, like a schmuck while someone else gets their entrance yeah. music. And potentially, I, I do think... You you have a point. I mean, maybe it's something Vince would do just out of the sheer level of respect. It's it's going to happen for him more than it is for anyone else. That yeah, um, it happens to anyone. It happens it. to him. Yeah, potentially the well, not even the Rock really would get mm-hmm. like a class to himself. Mm. Maybe at a no, push. No, they wouldn't do that. No, no. Yeah. The Undertaker's something. That's an internal thing. Yeah. Because if Austin didn't get his own one, then The Rock shouldn't get his own one. But I guarantee you, neither Austin nor The Rock would complain if The Undertaker got his own one. Yeah. So, what else is there to do with the myth? So, I guess also there's the um, the costumes. Like I said, do you have a particularly favourite Undertaker look? Uh, I like his later looks. I liked um, his the, peak... The MMA gloves? Yes, yeah, and I, I, the MMA gloves, sort of the singlet and and the hat. It's just so clean and like minimal in a way, like a sort of an undead character would want it to be. He wouldn't. There is no need for bells and whistles, you know, because he comes from the other, you know. So he he can just be a simplistically dressed man. All of his mystique comes from beyond what he wears. He's more than his costume. 
I think well, that's yeah, what like we said, is. like the, that version of the Undertaker. It's, un- it's funny actually because like when when I used to play uh, SmackDown, one of the early SmackDowns, they made a distinction between Undertaker and the Undertaker. Yeah, <laughs> Undertaker was at like eighty nine power or something like that, and the Undertaker was like ninety seven. <laughs> yeah, there's like God knows how many versions you can get now. I think. The most recent one, incarnation I owned, there's like three or four different Undertaker versions you can get hold of. I think Chris Jericho described him once as the Madonna of professional wrestling, uh, insofar as the way he reinvents himself. I would be kinder and call him the David Bowie of professional wrestling. Well, I would say Chris Jericho is the Madonna of professional wrestling. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I guess. Though his looks like haven't been as frequently changed I would argue than The Undertaker like the under- Jericho you have Lionheart you have uh, Conspiracy Victim you have Y2J then you have Super Serious Suited Guy and then you have um... Scarf and Clipboard so, yeah so that's five maybe five or six over the course of the run and so, yeah with Sp- Spangly Jacket or whatever it is Undertaker must have had about seven or eight v- Ten at least variants on it. So, admittedly, you could say divided by the number of years, maybe it's not that much different. <clears throat> but you know, it's still, it's still impressive. Like he, yeah. he, like you say, he does change. Not even necessarily with the times. I don't think he's necessarily looking at what is popular right now because it's all just. I guess death is ever present, so yeah. you're never going to have to go. I was, always, I was saying that actually, like because I, I work for a water company, and I said like. As far as gainful employment goes, it's one of the few industries that you can, you know, people are always going to need on. water. Oh, yeah. Until, until we go all Mad Max, it's actually quite a, a stable industry to be a part of. <laughs> um, yeah. What, I, then, would, what I would say with The Undertaker is he sort of does no, work no, no, off that well, deficit. I've got to finish my point then if we're going to move on. So, like, I was thinking, what is one of the only industries that's got more job security than being in, in the water industry? And I think it is being an Undertaker. Because people are always going to die. Oh, yeah. You know? <clears throat> I, was... Undertaker, I was thinking like an, an annual, the AGM of a group of Undertaker groups going, we've had a fantastic year. <laughs> Winter was colder. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I was going to straddle on to your point, though, uh, basically saying that because death, is, because death is ever-present, that sort of helps the Undertaker in that he doesn't need to drastically alter his character, really, in terms of like his presentation. Mm. Because the the uh, the undead slash, you know, um, death-embodied figure is, is a constant in every like civilization from the start of time, basically. And it is basically, whilst he's called the Undertaker, he is the Grim Reaper as a character, yeah. I would argue. That he strikes fear in his opponents in the way that death, fear, you know, we we all fear death. Even a, even the Ugandan giant Kamala, who Kamala. doesn't understand how to pin someone, understands the notion of death. Yeah. So it's he's, in that sense, like you know he, the the minor changes he has to make. I think he straddles that line of never changing his core. Uh, principle of being that undead character it's not like he would suit up become smart and suit jericho just on a whim mm. um but on the flip side modernizing just enough to keep it like fresh and never make it camp because that yeah. that's what he's been doing basically mm. the small changes just avoid him becoming a bit dated and the moment he looks a bit da- dated as a concept it, it does become camp that's how i yeah. feel well yeah and, and like i some people dispute it. I think Biker Taker was a necessary moment. Well, not necessary, yes. but I think it was a good moment to a good moment of humanizing. A good, and that was obviously the most utter transformational uh, presentation of the wrestler. The, the, yeah, been, that's they, my they've exception been leading that proves towards the rule. That. Yeah, they've been leading towards that throughout ninety eight and ninety nine. Yeah, but the the Biker Taker, like. It was. It was an entire. I think they kept the gong for for the best of my knowledge. They still kept yeah. the gong, but everything else, you know. It was, but it was a softer gong. To, yeah. It was a different type of gong, and so. it was just like it was almost illusions. Like I think I may not be. I may not be dressed up like Satan, but I'm still down with the devil or something like that. Was one of the yeah. lines. And then it was basically Undertaker as a Hell's Angel. That's what it yeah. was. And so it's another variant of you know, uh, death and hell and damnation and and evil. 
That's I guess that's a funny thing as well, like the Undertaker being dressed up like Satan, but he was a heel for maybe three years in total in this entire run that he's done as a wrestler. Yeah. Like he was a heel for a year and a half. No, well not even a, yeah, yeah, about a year well, a year and two months. A year and a bit. Started, a year and yeah. a bit. Then he was face all the way up till ninety eight when he was briefly heel with Austin during the Austin feud when he aligned with Paul Bearer uh, but then when he was ministry there was kind of a, a you weren't sure what he was one way or the other but then he was kind of fully here when he started feuding with Austin again Yeah. and so that was 90 so it's like 99 part of 98 91 and oh and then like he, he was healed for 2002 for about half of that year yeah, because that was like, wasn't that the year he like dragged Hulk Hogan off the back yeah. of his motorcycle? Yeah, and he was, <laughs> he shouldn't laugh, but, <laughs> it was, yeah, so he was a heel for maybe two and a half years in this presentation. But let's also talk about uh, another aspect of The Undertaker, which is, um, the, the, and that so much of productions are based around him, and so much of it is focused on him, but also they even invented matches specifically for him. The casket match, the Hell in a Cell match, the Last Ride match. Uh, buried alive buried alive yeah all these different variants all for the undertaker um i can't is there anyone that's had more than that like ken shamrock had the lion's den match invented basically for him scott steiner had that asylum thing or tank i can't remember if that was scott steiner or tank Abbott that was for uh dean ambrose had the ambrose asylum match which wasn't good uh you have the kennel from hell match Uh, i don't know if that was for big boss fans or al snow's benefit it wasn't for anyone's benefit that was for for peppy the dog that was yeah that was in honor of him pouring out for peppy the dog (laughs) oh it was pepper wasn't it It wasn't pepe i don't i'm misremembering that (laughs) (laughs) none of this matters (laughs) But it emphasizes our point. We're really scraping the barrel here. I mean, we could go for the Viagra on a pole match, but like th- those are more like just stupid gimmick things rather than like certain yeah. match types that stayed yeah. with those. I people. mean, there've been there were Hell in the Cell matches that didn't involve the Undertaker. There, I don't think there's been a casket match. There might have been a casket match with Kane that didn't involve the Undertaker. Oh, well, Kane's got Inferno matches. That's his jam. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was yeah, yeah. Um, buried alive. There might. Well, there was. I know. No, actually. Uh, the Undertaker was in that. I don't think there's been a Buried Alive match without The Undertaker. No, that I'm sure of. I'm sure of that one. Um, but no, you've yeah, like Last Ride matches, I don't think, same same principle, I don't think... Yeah, I mean, that's just a variant of the stretcher match or the ambulance match, I suppose. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's not really different, markedly different like the others are. But also, uh, and also another reason for some of those matches, like last ride matches and casket matches, is if the Undertaker loses, it's not as uh, bad, spectacularly bad for him. Yeah, because like well, famously, nineteen ninety four casket match against Yokozuna, he ends up losing to ten wrestlers all working together to beat him. Or um, the buried alive match of mankind. I, like I have, yeah, I have so much love for that match. As a kid, I thought it was amazing. Just seeing ten bad guys all coming in to try and beat up the Undertaker, and him still not going down. <laughs> and then you have him <laughs> appear the X-ray shot of him in yeah. the casket. We just wake up to the heavens. The this legend goes it was actually Marty Jannetty <laughs> that was dressed up like that. So we got something going. The Undertaker's lost a bit of height, hasn't he? Does that happen? Yeah. Is that what happens when you go up to heaven? <laughs> <laughs> well, the day say the dead do shrink, but mm. <laughs> it's yeah, taken sure. a look a bit. Yeah, yeah. It's like the mankind buried the life match. It's like mankind finally gets him into the hole, and then just the locker room empties as yeah. like people just shovel dirt onto him. Yeah. That's yeah, one of my like, favorite. Fun. You and I there have just said and showed something of like to beat the Undertaker at his own match, it took a hell of a lot to do. And that's yeah. part of the myth. Well, the mythos um, is the, the invulnerability of him. Yeah. And the fact that the bad guys in the locker room see this opportunity to finally get rid of like such a big fall in their side, that's why Yokozuna had his backup. That's why Mankind had, like, as I say, like a, a bloody road crew turn up with like, all these shuffles, which are just yeah, yeah. seem to be about. Yeah, or, um, yeah or, or another example of that, I suppose, would be... Um... 
when when well, also by the extreme lengths that people go to try and get rid of the Undertaker, I think Kane set fire to his casket like two or three times. Randy Orton Kane's did done that. that. Orton's done that. that. That was what was so great. Then when the Undertaker came back like a month or two later, at the flaming casket and yeah. kicked it open. Must be some bloody good firewood. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, that he's <laughs> done that. Triple H wrestled a casket match against Viscera Midian because Undertaker was injured, so they didn't want him to wrestle. Right. So there we go. I think Undertaker provided commentary saying this is poor casket match strategy they're employing. <laughs> casket? Okay. Well, initial incarnation. Triple H had to wrestle for all of the opponents that he was going to wrestle in, in, at Unforgiven in the Six Packs Challenge at their specialty match. Ah, okay. So he wrestled the Big Show in a choke slam match. He wrestled <laughs> Kane in an Inferno match. He wrestled Mankind in a Boiler Room Brawl. He wrestled Vid- Viscera Midian in a casket match. Whose specialty is uh, that? <laughs> the Undertaker. Oh, was the Undertaker meant to be like... Yeah, the Undertaker was meant to be Liberty. the opponent. And then the Undertaker left because it was around the time he was injured and he was got replaced by David Boy Smith. Right. And then he wrestled the Rock in a Brahma bull rope match. Yeah, that the night. Rock's known for. All in one night. So... Jesus. Yeah, they weren't pushing Triple H too hard back then. Not overexposing someone on television at all. That was that just raw. There was nothing else on. I think it might have actually been SmackDown. Oh, okay. Nevertheless, I can't imagine a lot of other content at the time. No. I do like it when they start um, trying to put tenuous ones in for like yeah, wrestlers. Yeah. You apparently... know how The Rock loves those bull rope bull matches. Rope matches. He's he? never not having a bull rope match. Bull rope, bull rope, bull rope. That's what we get from The Rock. <laughs> Just tells me about the hinch knot, the winds are yeah. not. Yeah, he can't shut the bloody hell up. <laughs> That's it. Oh, but... Notorious for... Rounding up bulls in his spare time is the rock. <laughs> but anyway. the fact, yeah, the fact <laughs> remains is the fact women taking the mix so much. Undertaker with Undertaker's matches, they all made sense. Obviously, the connotations with Hal, the connotations with Death, all all interweaved with his character quite seamlessly. We're not having a stretch like we would with the Rock mm. or Big Show. You know, it's all like um. Like they did like a powerbomb match, which is like notorious. I, if whenever I show up, want to say, um, here's some bad wrestling to my friends, I do throw out the Sid Vicious, um, Kevin Nash powerbomb match. Yeah. I mean, the Undertaker's been victim of ridiculous over the top booking as well, but uh, I guess because of the over top nature of his rest of his character, it works. You know, yeah, he gets he away get, with it a little bit. You know, he's 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 a magician. Essentially, yeah. he pops up from out of uh, caskets when it doesn't look like there was anyone in there. He emerges from under the ring. He does all these sort of things. He can like uh, make someone open up a casket and it's got just them inside it, yeah, like yeah. a la Diesel. Yeah, uh, good Madame Tussauds wax work there. Although ah. I think they also intentionally did a shot. They laid in a shot that they'd done earlier of Kevin Nash in the casket so that they could look, make it look like he was looking back at basically himself. Self, yeah. Um, yeah. So, did I? Did I? Did you answer that if you had a favourite Undertaker look? Um, yeah, no, I did. I went for like the sort of the more modern one. Like, oh, yes, 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 yeah. Okay. But um, I'd say more modern, but I say peak good uh, Undertaker look is WrestleMania 26 to WrestleMania 29. His entrance is around that time and his costumes around that time. What do you think of the shaved head? Oh, God. I think that's when you start to lose it, basically. Well, I think the reason was it was like a sign of like um, him seeking redemption against Triple H because Triple H won on points, basically, in the yeah. WrestleMania 27 match. Um, and... Yeah, that was like, it was like he survived Triple H and Triple H as well. I would have had you. <laughs> yeah, it's such. I, I enjoyed the wrestling isn't wrestling version of that storyline. Yeah, I got a good few good shots in. That's not how it works. <laughs> Fight me again, then. No. Fight me again. No. You're not as good as Shawn Michaels. Oh! <gasps> <laughs> that was an awesome moment, actually. Of the Undertaker again. Undertaker playing mind games in that he knew exactly what he had to say to, to get. get. 
into Triple H's head and force a rematch. It was like the last line he said in like a promo, it's like or something like that, where um, it was like all those things about um, Sean said about him being better than you. He is, and then they just left it. Yeah, that just hung in the air. <laughs> shall we talk about the streak, or shall we leave that for the legend? I think we should leave that for the legend personally. It's, it, it was kind of presentation. It came to define him as from WrestleMania yeah. twenty one onwards. But, it it uh, does, which, which I think is a, in a weird way a bit of a shame. I will probably yeah. save this for the legend, but like, I, I, that's why I want to talk about these other aspects to him. We do want to. Ha- I do think we should highlight it does straddle both in a yeah. little bit way because, as you say, it is it was part of his presentation and yeah, yeah. He was like a, he was like the biggest of big game trophies basically towards yeah. the end. It was it was a super title. It was that's why I always I was frustrated because I had, again fancy booking and all that, but I had so many other ideas with the Undertaker. Like I wanted him to hold on to the streak at least until what he announced would be his final match. And then have that year's Royal Rumble be to face The Undertaker. Yeah. The downside on that is that possibly it would have been a, bit, a little bit too telegraphed. But No, because like I, I honestly wanted the streak to never die. I can see why they did it, but I would have personally kept it. I would have kept it. Um, but like if there was if there was ever a... No, we should have saved this for Legacy. We'll, yeah. we'll talk about it more in Legacy. But um, but yeah, again, it was that myth... That, it's, it's weird, like... like um, when but, uh, when Brock Lesnar does beat him, they say you know he is human. Yeah, like the the, the myth is that it's a myth. He is yeah. a man. And the fact that people have the conversations like we were just alluding to just now about how what they would have done with the streak, it's one of the most common pieces of fantasy booking. Just shows how much that of a, the invasion angle. Yeah, those are the those are the big <laughs> two, um, and it just shows you how much like the streak meant in terms of like his character basically. Mm-hmm. How much of a part of his myth it is, but it we'll talk about it more in the legend because it is something that transcends just the character of the Undertaker and it's more of a wrestling as a whole thing. I feel the streak. Mm. Okay, uh, what else is there to say? Talked about the music. We talked about the special effects. We talked about. I want to. Do you prefer when the Undertaker would do the old standing in the corner, lifting his arms up? Do you prefer the slow rise or, like, around the, the Astute era, he would very often just sort of shoot his hands up immediately and the lights would go on like that and uh, there'd be, like, a bang sound effect and everything? Or I like the, the sudden change because it's like, um, again, that fits into his mind games. It's like, oh, I've immersed you in this world. You're not sure what's happening. Bang, you're back. And I, I, know, I, I know where I've been, but you don't mm. kind of thing. Like like a hypnotist, sort of, and you're back in the room. But <laughs> the hypnotist has a steel chair. Yeah. Um, what I was wanting to sort of slightly revisit um, is that the question I want to pose to you is, without Biker Taker, do you think we'd be having all these conversations about Undertaker? Do you think he would have been worn out without Biker Taker? Say Biker Taker doesn't happen. Which apparently Vince McMahon wishes was the case. Um, it's, it's impossible to say. Yeah. The, but the just got feeling. He gone. He gone ten years without having to turn into biker taker. But it was just such a natural progression from like there was a really actually a really significant moment uh, I wanted to mention was in '97 when he starts feuding with Shawn Michaels. That's really where it starts to with the Kane storyline of him being weakened by Paul Bearer, like them being a history and a past. Yeah, and I love that that they they you know all these wrestlers usually have. Like, we always say, oh, who's Sister Abigail, who's this, that, or whatever, and they never really end up paying off well. Who's who's Kurt Angle? What's Kurt Angle's big secret? <laughs> who's the anonymous Raw GM? Who's Vince McMahon's Ill- Love Ill- illegitimate son? And I think that the, the Kane revelation was one of the few times where it worked. It explained why he hadn't earned. It explained why Paul Bearer was by his side. Um, it explained maybe why he was obsessed with death and, and, and yeah. all those sort of things. Um, and then, and then depending on whether Undertaker was heel or face or came as heel or face, whether he meant to set fire to the place or not, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we all, have, we all, we all suffer from, you know, our childhood memories are never, 
uh, entirely consistent. No. <laughs> um, but uh, maybe that works. Maybe there is like a duality to The Undertaker that he both did and didn't know what he was doing, like Norman Bates in Psycho or something like that. Schrodinger's Undertaker. <laughs> yes. Um... <laughs> uh, where was I going with this? Um, yeah, the under- so in 97, like with that and then with the Shawn Michaels feud where Shawn Michaels actually cuts him, like he, he bleeds on a, yeah. on a Raw episode. And so that was like, it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Predator. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Kill it, yeah. And so it was just a natural progression. That gone, like like in the Shotgun Saturday Night opening uh, in those days, they basically did Biker Taker emerging from under a New York subway dressed as The Undertaker is dressed now. Yeah. It kind of had to happen. And then when he died and came back, it made sense for him to go back to the old Undertaker character. Yeah. So I'm not against it. But I can't say without with certainty that he would have got stale. Because, mm. you know, he's then been the Dead Man Undertaker since 2004 to now. And it hasn't gone stale. True. Because, because of limited appearances. That was really the start of him becoming a more of a part-time performer. Yeah, I think that's had more of an impact on his longevity. Exactly. Like his schedule. Exactly. So, so, it would have looked strange against everything else that was being presented, but, you know, they, they, they yeah, it's, it's, it's impossible, but I like what the, the variance of the biker taker look gave. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not gutted that he didn't come back at WrestleMania 34. It would have been interesting if he had. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not angry that he didn't. No, I'm just more confused. The whole thing in his latest incarnation. But I've made my feelings on like whether Undertaker should be around or not quite clear. On well, one of my occasions. favorite theories so. about why John Cena got uh, beaten so quickly at WrestleMania 34 was because he'd actually been drinking for several oh, yeah. hours beforehand. Just watching. That pre-show's two hours long, you know. Yeah, so. would, yeah, it would explain why he fell over when the Undertaker's boot was about two feet away from his face. That's going to be up there. You know when like they they do those like memes that do the rounds of oh yeah. when you discovered wrestling isn't real yeah. that that will have shattered a, like a few young kids' illusions right there. Not Nicholas though. Not Nicholas. Nicholas. <laughs> Nicholas is clued up on the biz. I so want Nicholas to want to become a wrestler now. Like, like, because he's ten now, so you know. Yeah. Wouldn't that be amazing? Because Velveteen Dream's twenty-two. Yeah. Imagine that in twenty thirty, as Braun Strowman's career is winding down. Not Nicholas betrays him. Nicholas comes back. Yeah. (laughs) And swerves him, just Russo style. Why not? So yeah. Also, actually, that that was what I was saying. Like, um, the Undertaker. One of the things about the character's presentation was it was a character that didn't really need to be involved in regular storylines and championships. Like, for the, all the time he's been in the WWE, he held the WWE Championship four times. He won, He held the first... His first title reign was a week. His second title reign was, like, six months. His third title reign was a month and a half. And his fourth title reign was about a month and a half. So yeah. he hasn't held the belt for more than a year, the world, the WWE Championship. Did, does he, he need he to? He held the world... Well, that's the thing. That's what was so special about his special attraction presentation. That, Like you say, like his streak was more prestigious than any wrestling title at that point. Which is why I wanted Brock Lesnar to then... Like, beating Brock Lesnar would be like like a continuation of the streak. That was why I, like, I wanted Roman Reigns to win against Brock Lesnar at 31. Because Roman Reigns would have been like 3-0 and at that point. Yeah. And he beat the guy who beat the streak. And then... Like, every future streak doesn't have to last any more than, like, six or seven WrestleManias, but it's still interesting. They can say, can he build... Oh, who's going to get it? Yeah. 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 But, again, we'll talk about the streak at a later time. Um, And the World Heavyweight Belt, he held that maybe six months in total, maybe. Yeah, and he was always very quite quite transitional in a way. Like, Mm. he'd get it um, off people like Edge, for example, and then Edge would, like, connive to get it back. Well, I think um, it's because The Undertaker himself is a focal point. I think there's too many titles in the WWE specifically because it's lazy booking. They don't actually book interesting storylines about two characters who hate each other wanting to fight. They just have two people fight because they both want this belt. Yeah. Like, that's all. That's all. nearly all women's storylines in the WWE are just whoever's women's champ and whoever's the current challenger for them. Well, they 
the Nia Jax Alexa Bliss was a bit more than that. But it was still for the belts. That was the thing. They they added a storyline onto the belt storyline. You got Bailey and Sasha Banks. Yes, I will concede that. But that's it, really. What storylines has Becky Lynch been involved with for a year? Uh, she's been um, trying to like fend off the emerging riot squad and dealing with all that the twist and turns come with that. But that's more of um, all we've got to do something with to the... Becky Lynch. That's not yeah. That's not something that's emotionally affecting Becky Lynch. The Undertaker storylines were how the Undertaker affected other people, basically. Yeah. The fear that he would strike in them, or the the determination to vanquish him. Like yeah. the million dollar corporation, it was just Ted DiBiase sending wave after wave of wrestlers to try and take out the Undertaker after he's exposed the fake Undertaker character. Yeah, you know, or it's Kamala being afraid of him, or it's the giant Gonzalez being this giant monster that's going to destroy the Undertaker, like basic King Kong versus Godzilla sort of thing. And so you don't need a belt. The Undertaker doesn't need to be defending the Intercontinental Championship against him. You know, no, he's never going to be a Grand Slam champion, but no, he doesn't need no. to be. No, yeah. It's always weird when someone tags The Undertaker. It's just a strange side. Actually, I remember, like, the first two Survivor Series tag matches he was in, 90... Well, actually, no, 90 was his first. But, like, after that, 93 and 95, basically, The Undertaker didn't... Like, he wasn't tagged in and out, tagged in and out. It was just, they wrestled for ages, and then The Undertaker was tagged in, and then it changed the storyline. Then it was him against Yokozuna. Yeah. Which set up the Yokozuna feud. And then in 95, it was just... It was just a regular three-on-four tag match, and then the Undertaker gets tagged in and he eliminates the entire team within, like, two minutes. Um, he did that at, like... Um, uh, well, I can't remember. The Survivor Series, I remember, like... No, he wasn't in the match, but, like, he comes back in after SmackDown have beaten Raw. Yeah, that was, like, that they're was like, oh, Randy, Randy you've done it. Randy and then, won. like, yeah, yeah. he just comes back and just bodies everyone to get to Randy. The thing that I remember most from that was that Matt Hardy was like somehow convinced someone backstage that he shouldn't get hit, so he should be able to run away to protect him. Yeah. And the Undertaker found out. Apparently, he showed footage of it, lo- like in the locker room, to like call out Matt Hardy. And then yeah. the next month, Matt Hardy happens to be booked in a match with JBL that does not go his way. No. <laughs> uh, but that, like, yeah. That's just a whole different thing there, but it wouldn't have hurt Matt in that scenario because everyone was getting hit. So I, I don't really know what's true with that one either. But hey ho. Okay, so if you were to summarize the Undertaker's presentation, like what would you try? And, how would you try to explain the character of the Undertaker to someone? Oh, okay. Um. I would explain it as it's a bit of a cop-out word to use, but it, it's it's so appropriate here. It's it's unique. Um, there's nothing quite like the Undertaker. Uh, I would pitch it as um, you start. I wouldn't. You wouldn't even necessarily need the backstory. You'd just say he's like an undead um, phenom, basically, an, an undead like sort of magic man who like just for some reason hangs around the world of professional wrestling i mean you could port the undertaker's character into like game of thrones for example and he wouldn't look that out of place make you make him you make him a rival to gandalf yeah um but yeah no it's just it's just why is there always a panto horse no matter what the panto is it's just like it's just there it's just part of it basically it's difficult to um like, because the Undertaker to an outsider would be someone who's like, "Well, why is this happening?" But I think because we're so used to it, it's difficult for us to explain that. Yeah, I remember someone, someone, uh, I think it was a comedian or someone talking about watching wrestling with a non-wrestling fan, and John Cena was on, and the guy just said, "Why does he wrestle in jeans?" <laughs> and he couldn't answer it. Uh, my, if you ask me to describe The Undertaker to a non-wrestling fan, I would say, well, the, the first half would be a bit pretentious and people might not even get it, but I would say it's Death from the Seventh Seal or Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, if you want to go that way. Yeah. Mixed with The Phantom of the Opera. A little bit. I get where you're coming from there. like Sort of like mysterious figure of a traffic, tragic backstory kind of thing fantasy. and it's it, it, the whole Undertaker presentation I think is the best stuff the WWE's ever done it's the best yeah. gimmick it's the best 
uh, it's the most long successful. It's the best. It's got the most longevity. It's the best booked. Um, most and consistent. It, just, it allowed Vince to do his Broadway impresario thing. Yeah. And having fun with lighting and smoke effects and everything, you know. No matter how much budget restraints they had on everyone else's stuff, when The Undertaker came out, they they pushed the boat out. Yeah. And we'll sort of touch on why that is, again, in the legend kind of thing. Mm. Right, Simon, it is now time for us to make that trip over to a non-mythical place, a real place, but they maybe sometimes lie to themselves about the history of some of the faces that they've carved into those pieces of rock, and maybe we shouldn't be celebrating them quite so much. Yes, it's Mount Rushmore, but it's not going to be a Mount Rushmore of some slave owners and other people. It's going to be a Mount Rushmore of Undertaker. Now, with the myth of the Undertaker, we like I said, we've been talking about the presentation, the uh, the whole shebang. And I think more than anything, the Undertaker will be known outside of his wrestling matches are for his entrances, because that is the full presentation razzmatazz of professional wrestling as it were the main reason i watch wrestlemania's these days is to see what they do with the entrances uh, that's the honest truth i care about the entrances more than most of the matches nowadays <laughs> and sometimes i'm pleasantly surprised sometimes not so much as far as the matches go but so would you like me to go first or would you like to go first for this one i'll let you go first please. okay I've gone for two WrestleManias, and I've gone for two non-WrestleManias, which actually turned out to be SummerSlam matches. Just a quick caveat. Yes? Are we just talking classical to the ring entrances? Or can we go a little bit unorthodox? Because there's uh, one I really like, but it's not a classical suggestion. entrance. You can do whatever you feel like, but we might get rid of it if we need to find our uh, universal one. I'm going to go for one really simplistic one, and it's uh, probably nostalgia on my front because one of the few shows I got to watch so often as a kid I'm going for his SummerSlam 92 entrance at Wembley Stadium where he came out in a hearse very simple very stark image and a very clever way of getting away with The Undertaker not having to shuffle very slowly on a very long entrance ramp for his match against Kamala and this was stark simplistic very basic organ entrance music. I nearly went for his entrance at the Royal Albert Hall show where he had a guy dressed up literally as the Phantom of the Opera playing the organ at the Royal Albert Hall to let him in. But I think it's Summer Sam 92 is more likely than not to be one that would appear in the uh, Undertaker video montage packages of his life and times. Next, I've gone for WrestleMania 17, the first time that Biker Taker was really allowed to let rip on that Harley Davidson and actually drive it full pelt to the ring. Such an iconic image. It was there for so many years afterwards of like, it is a time immemorial of many legacies confirmed. And <laughs> Whatever garbled nonsense Vince McMahon spat out of his typewriter that night. Um, then, I've gone for, out. <laughs> then I've gone for WrestleMania 29, his Undertaker CM Punk match where the zombies are all clasping at his hands and just wonderful use of shadow and lighting and everything. Like, that's the full production. I don't think there was much in the way of Pyro at that point. I think that might be when they were Pyroverse after they accidentally nearly set him on fire once, uh, I think a year or so earlier. And going back to a non-WrestleMania one, I'm going with SummerSlam 94, his triumphant return. And it was a real... They gave it a budget, which was something they didn't really give that much in, in those days. Although, to be very 94, they were trying to play up with the entrances. They were doing some cool stuff with lighting and hologram uh, sort of images, like with Bret Hart's entrance and the like. But The Undertaker coming out, again, them using uh, shadows. And it was a whole big build-up that was like a... It was almost like a... Um, what am I looking for? What's the word I'm looking for? Like an overture before he came out. There was Paul Bearer got his entrance and then The Undertaker got his entrance. And it was the first time of them making it bigger and bigger because suddenly his urn had become like supersized. <laughs> <laughs> but that was so that they could put in like a spotlight that Paul Bearer could play it. And it was also in quite a big arena for the WWF. I think it was like the biggest arena they wrestled in around that time. It was like 20,000, like a legit. Not like the usual when they say they're wrestling in front of 20,000 when it's like 11. 
that yeah. was like a 20,000 seater arena so it was a really good looking uh, arena as well and they were all up for it and then he had that really weird match with Brian Lee that no <laughs> one really quite understood what was going on but the entrance was good that's, so that's my, the key bit so those are my four choices two SummerSlams two Wrestlemanias SummerSlam 92 SummerSlam 94 WrestleMania 17, WrestleMania 29. Simon, let's have some from you now. Okay. Um, to see what your... I'm going to open... The, on I'm, the borderline. open with that, and it comes at the end of a match. Okay. But... It's an exit. No. It oh. is a return. It is an entrance. Oh, I think I know which one he's talking about. Can I have a guess? Yeah, go on. Is it Survivor Series 2004? Five, I want to say. It After is. Randy Orton has won the elimination match. It's not a bad idea. It's an entrance of sorts, I suppose. Uh, it's just... a return. It's like a post-credits sting in a Marvel movie. Yeah, and <laughs> it, it harks back to his exit as well. It sews it yeah. up nice and neatly. He yeah. went away in the flaming casket. He returns mm. in a flaming casket and mm. proceeds to beat the ever-living piss out of thirty men not by Matt himself. <laughs> not Matt Hardy. Never Matt Hardy. <laughs> Um, I just really love it as a visual. It, it's just like Randy Orton's face just sums it up perfectly. What does what it take is, to kill this man? I'd also love how all the other people didn't seem to hear what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're all still cheering Randy on, and Randy's like, get off me, you idiots! <laughs> run! Just <laughs> run! <laughs> um, I am gonna... I'll allow it, but I'm not going to make that our unified one. Okay, okay. Well, I don't think you're going to have to. Because one of my top picks was also WrestleMania 29. Uh, okay. I love the imagery. I just do. I love the the hands, the undead hands, just grasping at their master. It's beautiful. Um, I'm also going to pick the. It's a little bit hokey, but I quite like it. And it's the Royal Rumble match against Kurt Angle, where he comes in on the chariot. Again, I think that was a that was a post match entrance. Kurt Angle had beaten Mark Henry. Oh yes, yes. And that's yes, why the has. Royal Rumble match itself was like halfway through the show, and they ended it with Kurt Angle against Mark, Mark Henry. Henry. That makes because some they needed to, uh, and this wasn't Hall of pa- fa- Pain, Mark Henry. Henry. It was just reggae, the world's strongest man, Mark Henry. Yeah. I just like it because it. Of the so you, you really don't like these entrances in the traditional sense, do you? I think the Undertaker's better at the non-traditional ones. <laughs> is all. Um, one? I'm going to pick an American badass one, but I think purely because of the length of the ramp and it's not the best live band performance, but because mm. it is a live band, I am it's picking Biscuit. It can't be a best live performance. <laughs> I like 19 purely because. I think for Biker Taker, that's the best one because of the size of the ramp he has yeah, to write down. Yeah, what gets me about 19 is that like, it's an entrance with an angle. Yeah, it, it was, occurred. It, it was like those ones that have a little bit of it, like how with WrestleMania 4 and 5 in the Trump Plaza Hotel, the rest of are to walk downstairs to get to the ring. Or, um, or in 3 the gu- and 6 where they've got the mini rings. That, that, what was the rumble they had? It was the rumble they had in the garden where like you can see... like. The ramp, sort of, and the rings on hard. Yeah, cap. that was how it was set up for WrestleMania 10. Uh, that yeah. was how a lot of the Royal Rumble shows were set up. A lot of the Madison Square Garden shows were set up at the time. SummerSlam 98 was like that. Royal Rumble 2008. Was That's like the one. SummerSlam 98 has the Triple H Rock ladder match. 2000 it? Royal Rumble as well. They, yeah, they all had that. Uh, yep. Yeah. So, have you got any honourable mentions? I have two that nearly made the list. God, what are your honourable mentions? My honourable mentions were WrestleMania 14, where the druids come out with the sort of um, torches. Not tiki torches, they're not alt-right fuckwits. And The Undertaker made his... Fairly simplistic, especially when you compare to what he'll do in later years. But really cool. I do love a good druid. And the other one I went with was the Survivor Series 96 Madison Square Garden entrance, where he descended from the rafters in the sort of Batman cape. Okay. They... they that was the debut of the more leather, almost like uh, pinhead leather, <laughs> Undertaker repackaging. Yeah. So the kind of the, 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 the old nylon shirt sleeveless thing was out and the leather mm. stuff was brought in. I think maybe because that didn't have as lasting an effect with his look, especially the Batman cape element to it is why I 
ditched it, even though it was quite visually striking, especially for that time. Again, it was something that they really, you know... Obviously, Shawn Michaels had had his entrance from WrestleMania 12 as well, but... Yeah. Uh, they'll never do any of those anymore, uh, for good reason. <laughs> Thankfully. But um, anyway, uh, is there anything else to add to that, Simon? Or no, we... I don't think I had any honourable mentions, really. I think I was quite happy with my selections. Okay, well, stay tuned, listeners, because soon after this, you'll be getting a follow-up um, final episode where we're talking about The Undertaker, The Legend. We've done the math, we've, we've done the man. We've done we the have math. done the math. We've counted that there's three parts of this. We've done the man, we've done the myth, and then we're going to do The Legend, which is kind of has tried to take like a holistic look at his whole career, his whole uh, body work as The Undertaker. Yeah, it's, it's very work. Holland and Barrett. It's quite holistic. Yes, sure. Uh, for American it's, listeners it's an incredible waste of your money <laughs> <laughs> your free money but anyway if you want to get in touch with you Simon to discuss these matters and anything else they might want to talk about how can they do so uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter where I'm Simon Cross Free so known because I'm actually a cuboid in shape mm. um, they can get in touch with me on the Facebook pages both my personal one and our page uh, and they can get in touch with me by Carrier Pigeon, if you can find one good enough. And train it to go to your house. Well, yeah, you got to figure that bit out yourself. And you're not going to tell people that. No. The clues have been there, listeners, if you've been paying attention. The clues have been there. <laughs> My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Apple, N for Norman. If you put an at gmail.com at the end of that, that's my email address. If you take the gmail.com away and move the at all the way to the front, that is my Twitter account, that's my Facebook uh, name, that's my Instagram account. Uh, If you want to listen to me talk about bad British films, keep your ears and eyes open because the new podcast series called Best of Worst of British will be arriving sometime in July if we get our ducks in order. Uh, So keep your eyes open for that. I will keep you posted on the social medias and Etceteras, 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 etc. Is there anything else left for you to say there, Simon, or are we done? Um, no, no. I was just quite happy with my King and I impersonation, so um, that's a, I think that's a good point to end anything. What is this, etc.? <laughs> anyway, until the next time. Thanks for letting us tell you something. On behalf of myself, Lorca Mullen, and myself, Simon Cross. Have a dramatic pause time. there. Have a great time. Until the next time, farewell, Grapple fans. Excuse us, dude. But is there any way back? You may challenge me to a contest. But if you lose, you will remain here in the afterlife forever. What if we win? (laughs) No one has ever won. J7. I hit. You have sunk my battleship. The